Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Also want to welcome those that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. Those were the verses that we just read, verses 1 through 15. Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John. And this weekend, uh, we've titled the message, God's Power Through You. Grab your sermon notes out. Let me ask you a question here to start things off. When was the last time you undeniably experienced God's power working in you or through you or around you? When was the last time you undeniably experienced God's power working through you or in you, through you, or around you. God wants our lives to be a powerful display of his presence and activity. God's power through you is called ministry. It is our third G in our 5G process of becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So I asked the group last night, our Saturday evening crowd, what's the third G? And they blew it on that pop quiz, okay? They didn't do so well, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ask you guys that. What's our third G? You want to yell it out to me? Giving. Okay, you guys, oh, you guys are more on the ball, okay? Don't tell them I said that, okay? But uh, they didn't do so well, so it's genuine, growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. Yeah, you guys, I heard some of you out there saying that. That's perfect. So, so we're talking about this third G of giving, Genuine, growing, giving. And, uh, and that's what we're, so when we talk about ministry or G3, ministry is an opportunity to be used by God in ways you never imagined. To develop gifts you never knew you had and to assume a role in advancing God's kingdom that fills your heart to overflowing. That's ministry. In fact, this is what I found personally, and I think you'll find this to be true also. There's nothing quite like having the creator and sustainer of the universe fill you with his grace, mercy, and power to reclaim and redeem and to fix this broken planet one life at a time. That's what we're about here at Desert Breeze. So God's power through you, ministry slash giving. Now, when we talk about ministry, we're not just talking about ministry here at Desert Breeze. We're talking about ministry at home, at your workplace, at school, in your neighborhood. We're to be ministers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister, and you're to be on mission. That's our our fourth G. That's that going, but you're to be doing that 24-7, not that you do that while you're sleeping, but what you know what I mean by that. It's just like it's ongoing, it's ongoing in your life, uh, throughout your life. Now, let's begin, and what I'm going to do, I set this, the notes up a little bit different. I'm going to read the text and then make the point. So there's six, six statements. If you want God's power through you, these are the things you need to know uh, so that you can have his power through you. So let's begin verses one through four. Keep your Bibles open. I'm going to read the text, and I'll make the first point in just a moment. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. You can kind of see the motives for why they're following him. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Let me give you the first fill in the blank here. So God's power through you, ministry and giving, cannot be based on convenience. Cannot be based on convenience. Now let me, let me show you this in this text. This is the only miracle found in all four Gospels, other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the only miracle found in all four Gospels. You can see there, I put them on your notes, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and then of course, John 6, what we're reading here. The other Gospel accounts fill in the details for us. So here's the circumstances surrounding what's going on here for this miracle. The disciples are weary from finishing their first preaching assignment. Jesus is grieving over John the Baptist's death. Jesus was weary from ministering to the crowds. Uh, 
And so Jesus and his disciples had gone up on a mountain to be alone. This is just a time of R&R, just rest and relaxation to get away from the crowds. And what do we find? The crowds are continuing to pursue Jesus. In verse 2, we see that. But when you jump down to verse 10, how many were pursuing him? How big were the crowds? Anybody? Yeah, there were 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. So some believe that there were about probably 10, 15. Some even state there could have been even 20,000 people crashing in on Jesus and his disciples. I had that experience not too long ago at the last rock concert that I performed at. (laughs) I was fighting people off. Okay, obviously not, but I've never had that experience before. And so, I mean, this is, they're pressing in. I mean, the crowds are coming to Jesus. And so he's trying to get away from them. And very inconvenient time to to minister to them. And in fact, the disciples suggest to Jesus, hey, send those people away. We're exhausted. It almost, you you get the idea there that uh, the disciples are tapping out. And, and Jesus is going to show them otherwise, that even when you feel like tapping out, it, even at the most inconvenient time, you, you still minister to folks. And so, so let me just stop there just for a moment. And you guys know this, that there are people that energize you and people who drain you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody sitting around someone that really drains you right now? Show of hands. Okay. Better be careful. <laughs> just seeing how gutsy you are this morning. So you got people that energize you, people that drain you. It's good to have both of those kind of people in your life group, okay? Just makes for a really good life group. And, uh, and you can hit a place in your life where everyone drains you. You know, just everybody, you're just, you're peopled out. Anybody ever get like that? You get peopled out, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you stay there, it's not a, it's not a healthy place to stay. But from time to time, and I think the disciples are like, ah, we're peopled out. Like 20,000 people coming to us. You know, what are we going to do? And so really the biggest drainers can be the little people in your home if you're a parent. You know what I'm talking about? huh? These beautiful gifts from God. Thank you, God, so much for these little gifts that have become leeches that are sucking the living daylights out of me. Well, the lifeblood, you know, okay. And so there's little people. There's big people that can do that too. They can suck the blood right out of you. And so certainly that can happen. But here's, here's the idea here. Convenience means to do something with little effort or difficulty. You didn't get married because it was going to be convenient, did you? Little, you know, little effort and difficulty or had kids, little effort or difficulty or get involved in ministry, little effort or difficulty. That's convenience. No, in fact, if you only get involved in ministry when it's convenient, then it will never happen. For Jesus and the disciples, this powerful miracle began as an unwelcomed interruption. I wonder how many miracles we miss out on because it's just not convenient to to reach out, to minister to people. So I could apply this to your home, to your work, to your neighborhood, but let me just apply it here at Desert Breeze, the church. It's not always convenient to give your time and talents to your church family when the demands at work and home are overwhelming. It's not always convenient to give financially to your church family during financially hard times. Some of you have experienced that this last year. It's not always convenient to lead or open up your home for a life group week in and week out. It's not always convenient to minister to broken and addicted and desperate and suicidal and hopeless people. Ministry can't be based on convenience but on a commitment. We make a commitment to, to, to minister to others, to help others to see Christ. And so, in fact, I put this on your notes just to show you the level of commitment that, that God, it's a high bar here for us as followers of Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved for ministry, called to ministry, gifted for ministry, commanded to minister, to be prepared for ministry. Your church family needs your ministry. You are accountable for your ministry, and you will be rewarded for your ministry. You see all the verses there. You can study those on your own. So in what ways are you involved in ministry with your time, talent, and treasure? The three T's that we talk about here. So ministry can't be based on convenience, but, a, but on commitment motivated by compassion. That's the next point we'll look at. Look at verse 5. So lifting up his eyes, 
So the disciples, they went up on a mountain, little R&R, people still crashing in on them. The disciples say, tell those people to go away. And lifting up his eyes, this is Jesus then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? <laughs> Do you hear how crazy that is? We've got 20,000 people out here. And we're, you're asking me where we're going to buy bread? That, that sounds crazy. So here's point number two. If you're going to have God's power working through you, it must be motivated by compassion. Now, we don't see it necessarily. Uh, John doesn't use that word here. But Matthew in Mark, Matthew 14 and Mark 6, tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion as he saw this 15, 20,000 people coming towards them. Jesus is moved with compassion. And what's interesting, too, is we see really the motive for why these people are kind of crashing in on them. Verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So, So listen, the miracles drew many after Jesus, but very few to him. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, towards the end of this chapter, as we continue to read chapter 6 of John, what's fascinating is that Jesus is going to thin the ranks. He's going to draw the line in the sand, and a lot of these people are going to go away. Because he's going to say, hey, this isn't about getting a free meal. This is about becoming fully devoted to me. And many will say, well, we're out, we're gone. And so that's, that's what he's going to do later on in this chapter. But I said that to say, even though the crowd had an unworthy motive for coming to Christ, he wasn't indifferent to their need. He was moved with compassion. The word compassion is an interesting word. It means to have the bowels yearn. Does that sound weird? <laughs> it does to me. The bowels yearn, the gut yearn. Bowels were thought to be the seed of love and pity. So it is, it's, it is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings of others. Now, probably the best way for me to explain this is that if you ever got that, uh, that phone call, that, that phone call that just took you off guard, it was a bad, very terrible phone call that just hit you right in the gut and made you sick to your stomach. If you ever received that, that dreaded phone call, and you, can, you know what he's talking about. Oh, I feel so bad for them. Oh. Or, or if you're extremely anxious, it can affect you right here in your gut, right in your stomach. Ah, oh. that's what he's talking about, compassion. Jesus was moved like that. It wasn't just an intellectual. He was truly, had a deep uh, compassion for them. He, he loved them. And uh, so, so what it's showing us here is that Jesus is concerned about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And so should we as followers of Christ. So should we. We should be concerned about all suffering, especially, especially eternal suffering. I had a fire department buddy show up last weekend. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. He was getting on the fire department when I was leaving, and he was shocked he was shocked that I would leave the fire department, and when he showed up last week, he was just, uh, he was very commendable, and just, uh, uh, he said, he basically said, man, what a sacrifice you've made by quitting the fire department and, uh, and serving for 30 years. He, he just, he was celebrated the fact that we had, we were hitting 30 years here this Easter. He goes, wow, that was amazing. I was blown away. I'm getting on the fire department. It's all I could do to get on the fire department, and you're getting off the fire department. And, and so he, he commended me, and we talked a little bit about uh, the, how the fire department is really, the, we called it the golden handcuffs. You guys know what I mean by that? Where nobody ever quits the fire department. You're kind of locked in because it's, you can't find anything better than this. This is really a great career, very lucrative, very secure very difficult, but at the same time, and so we just talked a little about that, and, and I said, hey, hey, thank you very much, but as he walked away, this is what, what I was thinking. I, as I was kind of processing this, I was thinking this, this was no sacrifice at all. This hasn't been a sacrifice. When you consider, when I consider what Christ has done for me, I would do it all over again. I would do it over and over again. Absolutely, it's no sacrifice at all. See, sacrifice is giving up something you love 
for something you love more. I love the gospel even more. I love the calling of God even more on my heart and life to leave the fire department. He called me to do that. He doesn't do that for everyone, but he did that for me. I love the gospel and I love the way it transforms people's lives. That was no sacrifice. Are you kidding me? I, I, I did what I love to do. Now, what's fascinating, we live in interesting times And I read this quote a number of years ago, and I think it still applies today, talking about churches and where people are. This is what the pastor said. The benchmark of success in church services has been more about attendance than the work and the power of the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives. The entertainment model of church that was largely adopted over the last few decades has filled churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants empowered by the Holy Spirit. When believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church can't help but be different, and the world can't help but notice. That's right. That's right. I happen to believe that, that self-focused consumers don't last very long here at Desert Breeze. We're not much on entertainment. We don't entertain here. We want you to encounter Christ. And when you encounter Christ, you become a self-sacrificing servant empowered by the Holy Spirit, driven by compassion for people. I see that all around me, right here. I see that in you guys as you come in here faithfully. We have hundreds of people that volunteer, week in and week out. Absolutely amazing. And, And so why do we do what we do? Well, Here's why we, we do what we do. I received this letter here a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Ray, thank you. You helped God break chains in me today. Since moving here, God has shown me and taught me so much through you and this amazing family here at Desert Breeze. For the first time in years, I raised my hands in worship today and just started crying. I mean, it felt like God took my hand and held me. I was 20, I am 20 years old, and I got very lost at 16 till last year. God has made me new. God has made me new here at Desert Breeze. I can't tell you how much I have come to love this family. This has become my home. I love you guys. Is that great or what? Praise God. Praise God. That's what drives us, compassion to help others see Christ more clearly. I was talking to an older gentleman here. I'm not sure if he's in this service. Maybe he'll be in the next one. older gentleman last week that had just started coming, he was invited by some folks here. And I'm telling you, he was devastated by life. I won't go into the detail of what had happened in his life. It, it rocked his world. He was in terrible despair. friend invited him here. He came to the game of life. And last week when I talked to him, he was lit up. He said, I've gone from despair to meaning and hope and happiness through the gospel that you guys proclaim here. It's just absolutely wonderful. So, so what is it that motivates us? We are motivated by a compassion to see hearts transformed. If you want to know what Desert Breeze is about, this is what it's about. We are, we are motivated by compassion to see hearts transformed, wounded souls healed, hatred turned into love, Empty lives filled with meaning, hope, and happiness all through the gospel. All through the gospel. So ministry cannot be based on convenience. must be motivated by compassion. Look at verses 6 through 9. Back to our text. And he said this to test him. So, so he just talked to Philip. So crowds are crashing in. Jesus has compassion. He turns to Philip and said, hey, where are we going to get food to, to feed all these folks? And then it says, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, so Philip gets the calculator out, punches some numbers, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So denarii, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So he's talking 200 days worth of wages would not be enough for each of them just to get a little. 
And then one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Okay, so here's point number three. A couple of next fill in the blanks here. So if you want God's power working through you, it will test your trust in Christ Jesus. Ministry will test your trust in Christ Jesus. So, so test, so, so whatever, I mean, not just in ministry, but this is true in life. What are you going through right now? You, you going through a hard time? He's testing you. Not to somehow trick you or to take you down. No, he's wanting to increase your trust in him so you can experience more love and joy and peace in him regardless of your circumstances. That's what he's up to. He's testing your trust in him. You have a lot of anxiety and anger and depression. You're feeling a lot of despair, going through some really difficult times. He's testing you. He's wanting to to help you to go deeper and stronger and become wiser and then grow in your intimacy with him, to find that sweet spot that can only be found in him. Now, this is what I love about this. Um, Notice it says, he said this to trust him, for he himself knew what he would do. No problem that you face takes Jesus by surprise. He already has a plan, and he's working that plan. What am I going to do? He knows exactly what he's going to do. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. Your problems do not take Jesus by surprise. So he's just testing you. Are you going to trust him or are you going to not trust him? Are you going to look to him or look elsewhere? So it's a test. Now, two perspectives here we see in this text. Same wrong answer. Philip said, it's impossible. It will take too much. In other words, the needs are too great. Philip, or that was Philip. Andrew, impossible. We have too little. Our resources are too small. Now, now listen to me. Everybody look up here. Get this. Do not ever, do not ever measure your problems or your challenges according to your own ability. That's what they're doing. Don't let your difficulties hide Jesus. Keep your eyes, even in difficulties, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2. See, when you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, when you go through difficulties, trials won't overwhelm you. Temptations won't overtake you. The reason why they do is because we get our eyes off of Jesus, we get them on our circumstances, we get them on the people in our lives, we get them on the things of our lives. That's what takes us out. The problem is too great. I don't have enough resources to do that, to to handle that, to work through that. That's what these guys are saying. Now notice that Jesus allowed his disciples to struggle with this problem before he worked the miracle. He's gonna do the same thing with you. He may delay before he works it out for you. I've seen him do that. 30 years of ministry right here. (laughs) There are plenty of times. God, what are we going to do? Help us. Philip's answer was the answer of unbelief, verse 7. Unbelief is infectious. Andrew, too, was blind to the glory of God, verses 8 and 9. They were both failing to add God to the equation. So whatever you're facing, don't fail to add God to the equation to your life. Look what happens when Paul does that in Philippians. The book of Philippians is a book of joy. He's chained to a Praetorian guard 24-7, really ugly circumstances, not sure if he's even gonna get out of there. When you get the end of the book, I mean, he just says some wonderful things, and he says things like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, 413 of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I can face anything. I can face any circumstance. I can face any people. I can face anything whatsoever because I have his power in me. See, what is he doing? He's not failing to add to the equation Christ and the gospel. He also says in 419, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Not only do I have his power, but he's gonna take care of me. 
He's got this taken care of. I'm going to trust him with that. That's adding God into the equation. Think about it. Anytime we start freaking out, we get anxious, angry, depressed about our circumstances, it's because oftentimes, and I'm saying inordinately, some of that is normal and healthy, and it's certainly a motivating factor in our life. Anytime it's inordinate in our life, it's because we're failing to add Christ into the equation of our lives. So ministry cannot be based on convenience, must be motivated by compassion, will test your trust in Christ Jesus. Look at verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the, man, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, now check this out, as much as they wanted... Did you hear that? As much as they wanted. This was the first all-you-can-eat fish fry. (laughs) Praise God. That's where it started, right there. All-you-can-eat. I mean, they were like Thanksgiving, getting just stuffed, Thanksgiving meal. Somebody comes around with a pecan pie. Nah, I can't eat anymore. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'll take it. It's like, uh, uh, that's what he's saying. That's what the word really means. As much as they wanted. Here's number four. If you're going to have God's power working through you, it's going to display, it will display God's power in your weakness. God's power working through you will display God's power in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through uh, 9, Paul is crying out. He cries out three different times. I don't think it was in a row, but throughout his life, he was struggling with a thorn in his flesh. He goes, man, I am so weak. I can't do this. I can't handle this. I can't get through this. And so he cried out to God three separate times, and each time God responded to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so then Paul responds by saying, I will rejoice all the more gladly in my weakness because when I'm weak, his power rests on me. See, when you're you're struggling, it's a perfect opportunity for God to show his power in your behalf, for his power to rest on you. Displays God's power in your weakness. Jesus' miracle gave powerful answers to both Philip and Andrew. Listen to, really, when you look at Philip, Philip, the needs are too much. Basically, Jesus saying, no need is too great for me, for Jesus. Andrew, our resources are too small. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. I mean, I love this story. This little boy gave his five barley loaves, which tells us that he was poor. That's what poor people ate in those days, barley loaves. So barley loaves and two fish to Jesus. I mean, how do you think that went down? You think Andrew went over to him and said, hey, hey, kid, kid, Jesus wants your lunch. Give it to me. Give it to me right now. I don't think it went down like that. They weren't, I don't think the disciples were bullies. I mean, they, there were a couple times where a couple of them wanted to call fire from heaven and kill the people, but other than that, I don't think he was bullying this little kid. I think he was going around asking people, and I think there were people in that. I mean, you got 15, 20,000 people. There had to have been other people that had food, but he was the only one that said, yeah, here, I'll give mine. And he gave his his loaves and fish to Jesus. That's me. That's you. That's Desert Breeze. We are that little boy with the loaves and fish. I mean, think about this. This is crazy. I'm a construction worker that became a firefighter that God called to start a church in my home. That's ludicrous. I had people tell me that. They said, that's insane. Why would you want to do that? That's the dumbest thing in the world. We had a lot of naysayers. A lot of people said, oh, that's dumb. There's plenty of churches out there. Just go find another church and you can attend that one. No, God put this on my heart. I needed to do this. This is what he called me to do. Well, are you qualified? Can you do this? Well, I don't know, but he called me to do it. And so I'm sure that he will qualify me. I'm sure that he will help me to, to do what he's called me to do. He always does. I've always seen him do that. But I'm going to do that. And, that, and then that's exactly what, what happened. I'm an ordinary guy. I'm, I'm a very unlikely candidate. Did you know that when we started this church, only three out of ten churches survived church planning? 
I mean, it was against the odds that our church would even grow beyond our, our home. And, and I've had people actually, when they get to know me really good, they go, wow, it looks like just about anybody could plant a church. <laughs> and I'll always say, hey, uh, no, not anybody, only those that are called. I said, if you're not called, you better not do it. But I'm telling you, I was called. The Lord spoke to my heart. And, um, and I, I felt like a lot uh, through the years, 30 years, we celebrate 30 years this next, next weekend. It's just absolutely amazing. And I, I feel a lot like in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where the Pharisees looked at Peter and John and they looked at Peter and John and they saw, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary guys, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's my verse, one of my many verses. That's us right here at Desert Breeze. We've seen God's power work. I, I can't explain it, I don't understand it. It's all by God's grace. And, uh, Here's what we need to understand about this, is that you cannot be a channel of his power until you see your own powerlessness. And you have to put everything you have in his hands. Your fish and loaves, here, here, Jesus, here. Now, let me give you a little bit of the backstory of, of the early days. At the end of this message, we're gonna show you that video, uh, the five-minute video over our 30 years. Some of you have seen it. Um, and uh, we're gonna show it again. Five years and, uh, not five years, five minutes, or 30 years and five minutes, okay. <laughs> but, uh, and you'll get a chance to see that. You can also go online and, and go to the place on our website where it says Our Story. It'll tell you a little bit more about what motivated both Nancy and I to start the church in our home. And you'll also see, if you see the t-shirts, some of you are wearing those 30-year t-shirts. On the back of those t-shirts are our concert tour those were all the places that we uh, went to throughout the 30 years, and so it's pretty, pretty miraculous when you see what God did, but, but in 1990, we started in my home with 16 of us. We grew to 40 within a few months, and then in Easter of 1991, we, we bought a cheap sound system. It was all we could afford, afford and borrowed some chairs from VCA, Valley Christian Assembly. It was a church that Nancy and I attended for 10 years. They loaned us some chairs for our first official service in the Boys and Girls Club. And it cost us there 25 bucks an hour in the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, so we only rented it for two hours. They didn't charge us for setting up and breaking down. And uh, we had, a, we had a, a few people last night that were from the Boys Club days. And uh, we still have some that are here from our home days too. But, um, but what was interesting is we would set up and break down. Uh, we grew from about 40 to 150. Listen to me, it smelled like a gym, okay? So it wasn't the most conducive environment. Not only that, it was really hot in the summer. People would come in there, we'd have visitors, and you could see uh, perspiration on their forehead, on their upper lip. It's like trying to make it cool in there. It was a swamp cooler summer. And, and then you could see their breath in the wintertime because it was so cold, they had no heat in there. And we still grew to 150, but we felt like we needed to move on, and, and so we uh, leased Rose Garden Business Center at 19th Avenue in Rose Garden, and we went from paying $200 a month to $5,000 a month. And so Donnie Rodriguez and I personally guaranteed the rent payment signing the contract, but we felt like this is where God was leading us. And... Uh, of course, our wives did not think that God was leading us there. No, they, they were supporting us. They supported us during that because, I mean, $5,000 a month. And so we were going, we, we believe that God wants us to do this. And so we got over there. But what was crazy about this, after every service, Donnie and I would run back to the box where people dropped their money to make sure that there was enough money to cover for that month and whether or not him and I needed to get a second job to try to help support that. But here's what's so miraculous about that. He, we had these little fish and loaves and gave it to God. And it was shortly thereafter, we started going to services and we packed the place out and met ends meet over and over again because of God's blessing. It was, it was unbelievable. It was miraculous. And so we outgrew that place and then went over to the nightclub over here at 17th Avenue and Bell Road. I was just wondering if anybody here is from the nightclub days. Yep, 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 yep. Nightclub days, nightclub days. Yep, yep, cool. Yep. 
Nightclub days, yeah. Nightclub. And what was interesting about the nightclub is that uh, it had to be completely renovated, and we didn't have any money. And uh, a contractor there donated all the drywall and all the supplies, and other people started pitching in. It was all by sweat equity. And we built that place out. It was beautiful, and a lot of people came to know Jesus there. As you'll hear me in that video, people that used to dance and get drunk there got saved there. Is that crazy? It's just absolutely crazy. In fact, I had people tell me, say, yeah, uh, I used to dance right over here, and I got really drunk one time right over here. Okay, maybe it wasn't just one time, but it was a lot of times. And I used to come here quite often. He says, well, praise God. You came here and you got saved. And that was, that's the story. That's kind of the backstory of, of just a little bit. And, and God has continued to work miracles here at Desert Bruce. So here, here's the point. In the hands of Jesus, the insignificant becomes significant. In the hands of Jesus, the insufficient becomes sufficient. And so two life-changing questions we all need to be asking ourselves. Here's the first one. What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? Let me make it practical here as you're thinking this out. Is it being fulfilled and single? Being satisfied in a difficult marriage? Is it parenting out-of-control teenagers? Is it being positive in a negative work environment? Is it overcoming financial debt? Is it dealing with insurmountable health problems? Is it the salvation of unsaved friends and family? What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? Here's the next question. What have I decided is too little for God to work with or to use? This is what keeps a lot of people out of ministry because people will say, I don't have anything. I just have these fish and loaves. Give it to God. Watch him multiply it. Because you're in the same boat as all of us. We just have fish and loaves. We bring them together and God multiplies it. When you come to an end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. See, this miracle shows us a biblical pattern for how God makes our little into much. Judges 7, 7, Gideon conquered 135,000 Midianites with 300 men. Judges 15, 16, Samson kills 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. 1 Samuel 17, 50, David defeated Goliath with a what? A sling and a stone? Are you kidding me? Luke 131, God comes into human history through a teenage girl. And the list goes on. God does his best work when our resources are reduced, our needs are magnified, someone trusts God with what little they have, and God uses it to show how great he is. That's the story of this church. Absolutely amazing. How thankful we should be that God's blessings are dispensed according to the riches of his grace and not according to the poverty of our faith. Because there was no harsh rebuke for Peter and Andrew. Jesus didn't get down on them. And and their faith had failed, but their obedience did not. They continued to obey Jesus throughout. Sometimes when it looks really kind of unlikely, you're really struggling in your life, continue to obey even in spite of that. Continue to follow Jesus because he's gonna work a miracle. He's gonna do something really great through what you're doing. If you'll just keep looking, keep looking to him. Ministry cannot be based on convenience, must be motivated by compassion, will test your trust in Christ Jesus, displays God's power in your weakness. And look at 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. And when they had eaten their fill, once again, I mean, they, were, they had eaten as much as they wanted, all you can eat. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Number five, if you want God's power working through you, it will give you overwhelming fulfillment and fruitfulness when God's power is working, working through you. Jesus is showing us that the bread from heaven he brings is superabounding what he does in our lives and through our lives. Everybody stuffs themselves, and yet there are baskets and baskets and baskets left over. Jesus is the Lord of the feast. 
And so every encounter with a problem or challenge can bring an increase. See, an impossible problem plus an omnipotent God equals superabounding increase. That's, that's the story. God wants to use us to feed the multitudes. Now, God doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us as channels of his blessing. Can you imagine the story this little boy had when he went home? You know, his mom had to think, we're going to have to bring the rabbi in here to talk to you. You sound a little crazy. He did what? With your little lunch, he fed how many? 15, 20,000, mom. I'm not lying. It really happened. I can't believe it. No, we're going to have the rabbi come in and talk to you, okay? Get you a little counseling here. I mean, the story that he had as a result of that, the little bit that he gave, it's absolutely amazing. I know that sometimes people, when I share stories about this church and what God has done, I know that they look at me like, really? No, really. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's absolutely amazing. In, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, we're called, we are God's fellow workers. That's what we're called. So Christ fed the hungry multitudes through his disciples. We cannot give out to others except what we have first received. It is only the full vessel that overflows. God's presence will empower you to be what he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do. Wherever he's, wherever he's called you. That's why I've always loved 2 Corinthians 9 God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Abound. The word there is a picture of a river overflowing its banks. That's what he wants to do in your life, through ministry, in your life. Absolutely. But you have to recognize your powerlessness and give your fishes and loaves to him and watch him multiply that. Absolutely amazing. We are never impoverished, but only enriched when we, are, when we generously give to others what God has given to us. It is the generous soul that is made fat. Proverbs eleven twenty five. So ministry cannot be based on convenience, must be motivated by compassion, will test your trust in Christ Jesus, displays God's power in your weakness, gives overwhelming fulfillment and fruitfulness. Verses 14 and 15, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, they got one thing right. He is the Messiah. But the other thing they got wrong, they thought he was coming to set up his kingdom on the planet. No, that's going to happen the second go-round, the second time he comes. His first coming, he came to bear our judgments on the cross, to set up his kingdom within our hearts. His second coming, he will bring judgment and set up his kingdom on this planet. They were twisted around a little bit. Jesus recognized it. They got it right. He's the Messiah. Here's number six on your notes. God's power working through us always shows that Jesus is the hero of the story. <clears throat> Who's the hero of the story? The disciples? No. This little boy? No. Jesus. I'm always, you know, I, I listen very carefully when people give their testimony, and, and I've heard testimonies before uh, not so much here, but I've heard testimonies out there when people give their testimony. And I, I listened to a testimony from a really large church here in the valley not too, uh, a few years ago. And the reason I was listening to it was because he was a firefighter friend, and he had gone through some really hard times. But what was fascinating at the end of the, the testimony is that, that I asked the question, well, who's the hero of the story? At the end of the story, he was the hero of the story, and that church was the hero of the story, but Jesus was not the hero of the story. I'm telling you, Jesus is always the hero of the story. If you come to Desert Breeze and you hang out with us for a little while and then you leave and you forget about me, you've lost nothing. If you come here and hang out for a while and then you leave and you forgot about Jesus, you forget completely about Jesus, listen to me, you have lost everything. Jesus is the hero of the DB story for 30 years and always will be. 
I consider it a privilege, a pleasure to serve my King, my Lord, my Savior. I love Jesus, and my love for him and my passion for him continues to grow every year. Thank you guys for allowing me and Nancy to serve here. I mean, we just, we absolutely love it. God has been so good. We took a beating this last year, but I'm telling you, talk about a rebound. God is doing something wonderful here. It's amazing. We all have a front row seat to watch God do, his, do what he does best right here. Watch this video, and then we'll come back, and I'll, I'll pray. So when we first started, we started in our living room. I think that what drove us to start this was that uh, having more construction and then being on the fire department, both Nancy and I, we, we recognized that we were surrounded in our, not only just our neighborhood, but in the community of just a lot of lost, hurting, broken people who were searching for answers. And so we thought, okay, we need to, we need to do something about that. And our theme verse when we started was John 10.10. It's always been our theme verse here at Desert Breeze. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and we've seen plenty of that happen. And yet Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. We started off with, there were 16 of us, there were three couples and, and then our kids. And we really had a great family atmosphere. It was an intimate environment. We had worship, Bible study, and of course, you. Coffee and bagels. <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly the family atmosphere where strangers become friends and friends become family. We became family. It was, it was a beautiful experience. And we quickly grew to over 40 in our living room. And we were looking for a place, found the Boys and Girls Club over on Grover's. And uh, we knew that it would be a non-threatening atmosphere. It wouldn't be like going into a church. You'd be going into the boys' club. Maybe they drop their kids off there. And so as we reached in the community, it was a familiar place. One of our visions at Desert Breeze is the feeling of a coffee bar. It's not feeling like a traditional church. And so we had tables and chairs set up so people could come in and bring their coffee or bring their sodas or their drinks and have it there as they're participating in worship. One of the reasons why we finally left the Boys Club is we, we grew to about 150 and we felt like we needed to get more of a permanent location and that's when we moved into the uh, Rose Garden Business Center. And there was a lot of excitement about in the Rose Garden Business Center. Our yeah, church was starting to grow, people were getting serious about being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There's lots of new conversions, uh, people making a decision for Christ. Yeah, it was just, it was absolutely amazing. We went from about uh, 150 to about 400 in there. We immediately had to go to double services. We started doing a lot of uh, backyard baptism parties too, which were uh, just a lot of fun. And it was about five years now and that's when the church got so big that I had to make a decision and I made the jump from firefighter paramedic to more of a full-time role there with the church. Yeah, we ended up needing to move out of the Rose Garden Business Center because Desert Breeze, we outgrew the facility. I mean, we were packed up. Yeah, we were packed up. There was a lot of excitement. So in 1998, we moved to Sensations Nightclub. And when we moved in there, we almost immediately had to start doing three services. And uh, what was interesting is that there were people that came in there, told us that they used to get drunk and dance there, and, and they came and got saved there now. And it's, I mean, just a lot of vibrant ministry started during that time frame that I'll never forget. Uh, we had Celebrate Recovery start when we were there. Our Men, Men of Valor started. Small groups, our small groups are really beginning to take off. It actually, the game of life process started when we were in the nightclub. We left the nightclub because we were we were wanting to find a more permanent location. We were still leasing, so we thought we needed to go to a place, more of a temporary place where we could uh, maybe save some money. And then we moved into Sandra Day O'Connor High School. One of my favorite memories of Sandra Day O'Connor is the teamwork, the uh, camaraderie of all the volunteers. We had to set up and break down every week. What was really great about this time, the Lord really blessed us, uh, even in spite of the fact that the economy was kind of doing the roller coaster. God blessed us, we raised a million dollars, and then we were able to, to finally find our location. And then in 2013, we moved here. So when we first moved in here, we still had people that leased uh, spaces from Desert Breeze. And then one by one, they went on to other facilities to lease. And so we were able to take our auditorium, make it larger, build out um, a beautiful state-of-the-art children's area, classrooms, yeah. 
Our youth room was able to be built out. It's just such a great place for our kids to go uh, learn more about God's Word, have fellowship, uh, just hang out and be teenagers together. So Desert Breeze Community Church is built with this underlying conviction that whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. Because we're convinced that nothing can transform a human heart or heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, or bring about uh, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation like the gospel. And we've always been about the gospel and God has continued to use us in spite of the ups and downs that we've had. And uh, we're convinced that the best is yet to come. Woo. Praise God. He's the hero, our Savior, our King, our Lord. God bless you guys. Let me uh, just say this, uh, Resurrection Weekend, Hope Revive next weekend. Invite your family and friends. Baptism party. If you want to get baptized, come up here to a small class uh, at the end, of, just a class right here for about 10, 15 minutes at the end of the service, and we would love to kind of walk you through the process. Um, let's see, my wife and I will be up front at the end of the service here, uh, along with any available elders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we'd love to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's pray. So Father God, we, as we celebrate 30 years of ministry here at Desert Breeze, you have never ceased to amaze us. Your grace is better than we, we deserve and uh, greater than we ever dreamed. You have certainly taught us through the years that, that your power working through us cannot be based on convenience but on commitment and is motivated by compassion and it will test our trust in you but it will give us opportunities time and time again as it has for your power to be made perfect in our weakness as we experience overwhelming fulfillment and fruitfulness in ministry. Jesus, you are our Savior, our Lord. We give our lives to you and want to live our lives for you. You are the hero of our story. We are excited about what you have in store for us in the future. Fill us with your grace, your mercy, your power to reclaim and redeem and to fix this broken planet one life at a time. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said... Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.